0: Hi, I'm Mitch Kokai filling in for Mark Roderman. Coming up on Front Row, the Supreme Court takes up a North Carolina redistricting case. North Carolina's House and Senate choose leaders for the next legislative session and new data on North Carolina students' reading skills. Next. Major funding for Front Row with Mark Roderman is provided
1: by Robert L. Luddy. Additional funding provided by Patricia and Ku Yuen through the Yuen Foundation, committed to bridging cultural differences in our communities. And by Funding for the Lightning Round provided by Nicholas B. and Lucy Mayo Body Foundation, AE Finley Foundation, NC Realtors, Reifenberg Construction, Stephen Gleason. A complete list of funders can be found at PbsNC.org/frontrow.
0: Welcome back. Joining the conversation, Donna King with the Carolina Journal, Don Vaughn of the News and Observer, radio host Nick Craig, and Senator-elect Mary Wills Bodie. Thanks to everyone for joining us. We're going to start with a, a major topic here. The U.S. Supreme Court hears oral arguments next week in a case that's called Moore v. Harper. It involves a dispute over North Carolina's congressional map. Republican legislative leaders want the Supreme Court to limit state court's ability to throw out the legislature's maps but some observers fear a ruling favoring Republican legislators could open the door to legal mischief, including threats to future presidential elections. This is a big deal, Donna, it isn't is. it? It its
2: It's a very big deal. Basically, the justices the, uh, at the high court will decide if the state court has the authority to reject the maps drawn by the state legislature. And we're hearing a new term pop up, uh, independent state legislature doctrine. So uh, we're hearing it a new term, but really it's been around since powdered wigs. It's been in the Constitution. <laughs> Article 1, and it says that the state legislatures have the power to determine the time manner uh, in which elections are held. And that's what lawmakers, North Carolina lawmakers, um, in this case, uh, the Moore team are hanging their case on, saying, look, this has been in the Constitution for for a long time. Now, there are critics, of course, who say, you know, if if that is held up, then, you know, that would give the legislature the opportunity to do something like replace a candidate if they didn't like how a vote turned out or something like that. Um, Lawmakers say this is in the Constitution. And this is not something that the courts can can do. They can't step in and reject our maps. Um, And one of the reasons that this is starting is because in 2022, uh, the North Carolina Supreme Court appointed special masters judges to draw those maps for 2022. And that will be the only year that those maps are used because we're anticipating new maps being drawn.
0: Don, you follow the General Assembly closely. This Mm -hmm. is something that they're really paying attention to, isn't it?
3: I think so. And I think that uh, the worries that the Democrats have that the Republicans say, you know, if you just look at the specifics of the case, I think of the worries there, of course, because January 6 changed everything. So it's not as much the specific case as what could mean after it. Uh, and because of just the partisanship in general between all of it, I think that's a factor in, in everything. And when the Supreme Court, I mean, they're just hearing, you know, this now, but, but when they actually do something about it next year, you can kind of predict what each, what each party is, what their reaction is going to be. Less about the minutiae of the case and more what does this mean for me, depending on who you're talking to.
0: Nick, you work outside the Raleigh bubble. Do you hear much Discussion for people about this case do people even know
4: it's on the radar they do and it's a huge disservice to the voters of North Carolina I mean, it seems like we've constantly we've been talking about redistricting for the last 12 years. It never goes away There's always a a new lawsuit a new legal battle here I think you're eventually going to get into a position where you start disenfranchising voters They don't know what district they live in. One side of the road is this district. Now it's not. Now it's this. Now it's that. Now there's a new map, and now there's the Supreme Court. It's just I I want a resolution. Obviously, I'd prefer it to stay within the General Assembly as the state law and the guidance indicates it should. But I think at this point, voters want a resolution to this one way or the other because it's exhausting that this happens seemingly every single year.
0: Now, Mary Wills, this does not affect the state Senate districts, which are of direct interest to you, but you – I. sure are watching this very closely, what are you thinking about this case?
5: Sure. So um, North Carolina is no stranger to redistricting litigation, as mentioned, um, especially at the federal level. Um, you know, for me, I worked in redistricting for a couple of years. What these um, these cases are really about, to me, are um, accountability to the people in power, checks and balances, and making sure the will of the people is heard loudly and clearly. Um, and when I think about Moore versus Harper and this theory, this doctrine, um, I'm thinking about Chief Justice Roberts holding in um, Common Cause v. Brucho, and he said, um, you know, and I'm paraphrasing here, um, but he said, you know, although the federal court system Um, is closed to issues of partisan gerrymandering. Um, These concerns do not echo into a void. And he went on to talk about all the ways um, and the avenues and the tools that we the people have to hold power accountable at the state level. And I think the concern here in North Carolina is that if the state Supreme Court is no longer a tool um, to intervene and hold the legislature accountable, um, we do not have um, very many tools left in our toolbox to do that. Um, Our governor in North Carolina you know the veto he doesn't have veto power for legislative maps um, here in our state Um, and I think that's why all 50 um, state Supreme Court justices also wrote an amicus brief expressing their concern Um, so this is certainly something we'll be watching um, and listening next Tuesday
0: yeah very big case and I'm sure we'll be talking more about it probably a decision to come down near the end of the Supreme Court's term so sometime next June let's go ahead and switch gears North Carolina's 2022 election officially ended this week with the certification of election results, but some people are already looking ahead to 2024. In North Carolina, the marquee matchup involves the governor's office. Current Governor Roy Cooper cannot seek a third term, and this means the job will be open. A left of center group called Carolina Forward recently issued a poll about top Democratic and Republican contenders for that open governor's race. Don, when you looked at that, uh, what did you find interesting in this poll?
3: A lot of it is the names that have already been floated out there. No one's going to say it officially yet. You know, Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson has come as close as he possibly can to say he's going to run without saying it. Attorney General Josh Stein has been the heir apparent to Cooper for for years now, still won't say anything yet. So. I think that uh, the numbers are interesting, depending on who you're serving, if it's Carolina Ford or are they just serving, you know, mostly Democrats or those that, you know, follow them. And, and depending on the poll, we all know that sometimes polls are great and sometimes they're terrible, you know, it really telling you what what people want. So I think we're. You know, probably looking at a Stein-Robinson matchup. I think them looking at it, the Republicans saying, "Okay, well, Robinson's got the support, so maybe we won't run." Um, of course, Treasurer Falwell is going to do what he wants to do. You know, regardless of polling, that's kind of his personality. I think, um, but the other Democratic names, you. You know, a lot of the behind the scenes happens that if the party decides Stein is who they want, then people will back off. We've seen that before in other big races or maybe because it wasn't as high in that poll that maybe um, other Democrats thought. They're going to say, well, maybe I have a shot here if I can, you know, plead my case to the party and and would want to be the pick versus Stein, I think.
4: Nick, what stood out to you? Before that poll, you talked about the election being certified. There are uh, 2,655 precincts in the state of North Carolina. They're all independently operated by their county board of elections. There was only four precincts out of over 2,600 that had issues during the elections. That is a phenomenal number. I know there's questions about elections in other states, but here in North Carolina, our elections are run really, really well. So I'm glad that the certification is finally done and and we can step aside that. The poll, what I found interesting on the Republican side of the aisle, obviously, Mark Robinson leading that. But Tom Tillis had a surprising amount of support in rural areas, uh, looking at the Carolina forward poll. And why that's so interesting to me is that he's been getting a lot of flack from his own party as of late, even going back to the election during Cal Cunningham. There was a lot of people that did not want Tom Tillis to be the to be their senator. So I was surprised to see him like 10 or 12 percent in some rural areas. I thought that was surprising. Uh, but obviously, still Mark Robinson having the uh, the advantage there in very, very early political polling. Mary Wills, what stood out to you?
5: Yeah, sure. So, um, you know, two years in election time is a lifetime. Uh, We've got a long way to go um, before a lot of these decisions are going to be made. So I think, you know, the value of this poll right now is we're going to be able to track kind of the pulse and interest level over time. Um, I'm really thinking about how, you know, the national landscape. North Carolina is a swing state, Um, you know, Trump won North Carolina by less than 74,000 votes, or 75,000 votes. And so I think we're going to be getting a lot of national attention. Folks are going to be stumping here across the state. Um, And what we learned in 2020 is those national figures have very long coattails. So I'm thinking about how the interplay between our top um, North Carolina race, the governor's race, um, will play with that national race um, and look forward to, you know, seeing how that changes over time. Mm
3: -hmm. I wonder what Tillis thought of the poll and if that would kind of change, you know, like people have talked as, you know, maybe Tillis, isn't interested in this, you know, being a U.S. senator is a pretty comfortable spot. Why would you want to be governor in a state that doesn't give the governor a lot of power? But also it depends on how do you want to, you know, spend the rest of your political career and if it's a way of coming home and that's Mm -hmm. something he'd be interested in. And Tillis probably could, you know, give Robinson a run for his money in the primary. It'll be interesting. Donna? Well,
2: the primary really is the thing. You know, uh, Republicans tend to have broader, much more expensive primaries than Democrats, at least here in North Carolina. Democrats here are pretty good about clearing the field so that they don't spend a lot of money in the primary. Um, But, you know, Robinson has a clear advantage. In this case, the the Democrats were a little more split. I thought it was interesting to see Mandy Cohen's name uh, pop up, uh, and that would be... uh, The three W's lady. Right. Yeah, exactly. Well, and and she has a ton of name recognition, but whether that's uh, a a plus or a minus is going to be the big question because her face, like it or not, became the the face of all the shutdowns. So whether she can turn that into a success. Um, But either way, I think it is interesting and still, of course, very (laughs) early to see all of these names coming up and and 44-44 split uh, over Biden and Trump in this particular poll.
0: And as was mentioned, a lot of time between now and the 2024 <laughs> election. Let's go ahead and switch gears. Sure. State legislators are not expected back in Raleigh before the new year, but members of both the state House and Senate have selected leaders for the new session that starts in January. Barring some unforeseen development, Representative Tim Moore will serve a record-breaking fifth term as House Speaker, and Senator Phil Berger will serve a seventh term leading his chamber. Democrats have selected Senator Dan Blue again to lead their caucus, and House Democrats will vote on leadership positions next week. Uh, Nick, looking at some of the same figures there in the lead, uh, do you
4: think we're probably going to see sort of the same policies now? Well, I think you're going to see a lot of the same policies. The last General Assembly session was very successful for for people of North Carolina. Take partisanship out of it for, for a minute. It was a very successful legislative session. There was a lot of bills signed in law, there was also a lot of vetoes, which you can argue whether it should have been vetoed or not. But nevertheless, it's still government working, doing something, which is, I would tend is better than than not. So I think you're going to you see in a... <laughs> when you're, are you Congress? Are you saying <laughs> I mean, we're not, looking at you, Congress? I'm not saying... Yeah, I, she I, she I was wouldn't was make saying. such a terrible comment like that, Mitch. Um, so I think you're going to see a lot of the same. But there's a lot of bills that didn't. didn't go forward this one. And I I picked one out specifically, House Bill 805, which uh, came forward during the riots of 2020, in which you had large protests that unfortunately turned into complete and total civil disobedience in many cities across the state. House Bill 805 would have given uh, people that were accused of doing these things, throwing mortars and bricks and rocks at law enforcement officers would have put them in a position where they would have potentially had to deal with some more civil penalties. As this was sponsored by Charlie Miller, who is the representative in Brunswick and New Hanover County. He was on the streets during these protests and had a a mortar explode right behind him, bottles and rocks thrown at him. So there's legislation like this that got through the House and the Senate, was then vetoed by Governor Cooper that I think the Republicans are going to have a real shot at this time.
0: That's going to be very interesting. You're going to be joining the Senate now and took part in that vote to to put Senator Dan Blue in the leadership position again. What do these developments mean to you as a newly elected member of the Senate?
5: Sure. Well, between the four leaders um, in the legislature in the House and Senate, they have almost 80 years of legislative experience collectively. Um, You know, I think they're all past the get to know you phase, um, and they're settled into a very mature collegial relationship. Um, They know each other's push points um, and, you know, kind of how one another feel about um, certain issues Um, and certainly working with the governor. um, Those, you know, that crew has um, a very, I think, um, uh, Senator Burgers at a collegial, um, you know, working relationship, business-like relationship. So um, I think there are a lot of benefits to that. I think we're going to continue to see work get done on behalf of North Carolinians. That's what 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 they expect um, and what our job is. And so um, you know, you know, the only risk is that perhaps some of these um, issues have become entrenched um, and folks have staked out ground. Um, but I think that um, each one of those leaders have said that they're going to keep an open mind and look forward to moving the ball forward and continuing the conversation on some. Of the things they didn't quite get over the finish line,
0: Donna. What interested you?
5: Uh, well, so one of the things is I like seeing uh,
2: Senator Paul Newton come in mm-hmm. as Majority Leader. I think that he really showed some leadership in the last in the last session. So he'll be taking uh, the helm of the caucus, the Republican caucus. Um, uh, the Senate Republicans have a supermajority. The House is one vote short of a supermajority on that side. Um, I think what we'll see is a continuation of a lot of what we've seen in the, since 2010 when Republicans took control of the chamber after Democrats had it for a century. I think we'll see a focus on keeping you know, taxes low, maybe even lowering them further, accelerating those triggers perhaps. We may see something like the Parents' Bill of Rights come back up, uh, particularly when we saw so many people either decide not to run again for school boards or you know, seeing more conservatives added to some school boards. So I think we're seeing more of the same, but maybe an acceleration.
0: Don, you work a, a lot at the General Assembly. Mm-hmm. I guess you don't really need to update the Rolodex much. <laughs>
3: <laughs> there are some shifts. Uh, With Majority Leader, the first thing I thought about when Senator Newton got it was Mm -hmm. taxes, because if you've ever talked to him and mentioned taxes, his face lights up like a Christmas tree, and the Senate has more power this coming session, and I cover the budget, so of course taxes are part of that, and uh, Newton wants more tax cuts than the House. Berger wants more tax cuts than the House, so I feel like that is potentially something to watch this coming session. The other thing on the Senate Republican leadership side is that he replaced Kathy Harrington, who didn't Run again, And another prominent uh, woman Republican senator, Diana Ballard, lost her primary to Ralph Heiss. So those are two senators that are high profile that aren't there anymore. So that's an update, you know, as far sure. as who's there or not and the, the shifting leadership there. I assume that Robert Reeves is going to be Democratic leader again. So a lot of it is more of the same. Yep,
0: mm-hmm. yep, very interesting. Of course, we'll be talking a lot about the legislature in the <laughs> weeks to come. We'll switch gears now. This week offered another reminder that North Carolina still falls short when it comes to ensuring that public school students read proficiently by the end of third grade. It's a goal state lawmakers have been pursuing for the past decade at least, but a presentation to a legislative committee showed just 47% of third graders reaching that goal last year. One legislator even tried to pin state education officials down on a date when the state can expect proficiency to be 95% or more. As an incoming member of the legislature, I'm sure that number has to be disappointing.
5: Sure. Um, you know, making sure our children in North Carolina are well-educated is non-negotiable. Um, and I think that is, you know, on both sides of the aisle, we all feel that way. One thing that I think is is missing from the conversation a little bit is investing in early childhood education. Um, so making sure that those children, when they do get into kindergarten, are activated, engaged, and ready to learn and hit the ground running to meet their full potential. Um, North Carolina used to be a big leader and a champion um, in past decades on early childhood education. And I think whether you want to talk about it from a scientific perspective or a return on investment um, you know investing early in children um, is is something that that really does pay off in the long run um, so I would love to see the legislature focus on that to kind of help this process um, as we move forward and I think also too you know um, many parents have had to leave the workforce um, uh, in the pandemic um, and daycare and childcare infrastructure is broken um, and so I think that could be a way um, to kind of to, to to help parents um, and also help children um, get in there um, and, and really be ready um, when, when they hit kindergarten.
0: Sounds like you're ready to talk about that when you get to the legislative building. Donna, your thoughts?
5: Oh, I, I completely agree. The poll out this week said that
2: 64 percent of um, voters said that education is going to be a key issue when they walk into the bo- uh, the voting booth in 2024. And I don't think that's going to change between now and then, even though it is, you know, two years ahead. Um, but one of the things that I noticed is that in those reading numbers that we've gotten back is that the margins of growth are really uh, not as good for those first and second graders. And I think that speaks to them not getting uh, a, a real benefit in kindergarten online. I mean, you just can't do it. And and we're seeing now the results, the damage done by those school shutdowns. Um, but truthfully, I'm worried about those high school students, too, because they've got huge holes in what they are taking with them to college or into career training. Uh, so I think across the board, we really need to be focused on that. And, and congratulations to the teachers in this, because this shows how Hard it is to bring these kids up to speed.
0: Don, you've heard legislators talking about this for a long time. I'm guessing they're still going to be working on this.
3: I think that educator pay and just education funding in general, that, you know, Leandro is obviously a partisan issue, but even things like early childhood education birth to five is like so significant with, you know, how you do in school once you get to kindergarten. And then whether or not that was in person or not or, you know, the, the gaps that you have, the learning loss from from that, I think will carry through for several years with all of this. And I think education, might be the biggest topic of the session, and certainly one that'll um, be part of a variety of bills, and and as everything leads to the budget too.
4: Yeah, Nick, your thoughts. I mean, huge shakeups in board of elections this this or this or board of educations this last election. So there's obviously something there that parents or guardians or grandparents. Are concerned with, and yeah, and especially Don, in your area. Yeah, completely, you had a yeah. sweep in New Hanover County, four mm-hmm. Republicans outseating two Democrats and, and taking control of that board. And it was a similar notion across the state as well. Donna mentioned something interesting, though, about learning loss. You know, when you're talking about a first, second, or third grader, you at least have some time to rectify that loss. If you're a junior in high school and you've lost two or three years of education, right. you don't have three more years of education mm-hmm. to use it to build up. But it's going to come down to having to retool the school system in some way to build up from this learning loss and really have to batten down the hatches for the next couple of years. It's going to be intense. It's going to be a lot of work, but it's got to be done because this learning loss has to be made up or what now you're talking about retooling colleges and uh, everything else. And then the workforce, it it has huge ramifications.
0: Well, all of these are very important topics, but we also want to give the viewers a chance to hear about other things that they should know during the course of the week, and I'm going to start with Donna. What else should we know uh, about what's happening?
2: Okay, so in the new year, I'm personally kind of excited. The uh, income tax, personal income tax, is going to fall uh, to 4.75 from 4.99. This is the triggers it's, you know, economic growth, and then we may see that drop even more because of some of the priorities of the incoming folks. Um, remember, about a decade ago, we were at 7.7 um, in personal income tax. So there's been a tremendous drop over the last decade, uh, corporate tax Tax triggers are due to kick in, too. So those will, will drop again. By 2027, we're supposed to be at a 3.99 corporate income tax. And I think Personal that that's... Personal income tax. Yeah, right, yes. And and I think, oh, 2.5 is going to go down to 2.25 in uh, 2020, in 2025. So I think all of that said, I think that this legislature is moving toward maybe even accelerating and lowering taxes further.
0: Don, I know you're interested in new laws.
3: Yeah, so there are 10 new laws took effect this past week as of December 1st. Not everything in the bill, as I was reading through pages and pages of bills. So this starts <laughs> October 1st. This starts December 1st, just to make it complicated. Um, but two that, that stood out to me were related to domestic violence. And one was expanding the state's DNA database when, when somebody um, with various um, uh, domestic violence and assault convictions, and just just to add to that, which is a good thing to have. And then the other is this uh, sort of stopgap measure with protective orders and being able to have an interim order if one expires before it before it uh, is able to be renewed. And uh, one of the lawmakers received an award uh, for it for for following this. I believe it was Davis, and Ted uh, Davis. And those are, are small things that maybe didn't get a lot of attention when the bills were passed, but once they go into effect it can you know impact a lot of people's lives you know for a long time.
0: You mentioned several new laws and yes. you were also interested in a new law.
4: We love law. New laws. <laughs> uh, Senate bill 766 uh, deals with organized retail crime. We've all seen these videos uh, predominantly on the west coast and in York places like New York City of swarms of people breaking into stores and just clearing it out completely. You've got stores in New York City, out in Portland, Oregon, San Francisco, L.A. that have closed their doors completely because they cannot handle this organized retail theft. This new law in North Carolina put some additional penalties on people to hopefully curtail some of this stuff from happening because a lot of the times, Mitch, it's small mom-and-pop-owned businesses that are getting cleared out, not multinational uh, corporations, mom-and-pop businesses that are getting ravaged.
3: Sure,
2: and in January, um, that online marketplace faces a few more restrictions where they have to really know who's selling. If they're selling over $2,500 or something like that, um, the the online marketplace has to know who's selling it. And that's part of this online retail uh, theft bill.
0: Mary Wells, I know one of the things you wanted to talk about was something you had heard a lot on the campaign trail.
5: Sure. So I ran in the only urban, suburban, rural Senate seat in North Carolina. It was a third Democrat, a third Republican and a third unaffiliated. So I really had the benefit of hearing from, you know, a wide cadre of people on what was top of mind, um, whether it be when I was doing a ride along with the sheriff or in the school system or specifically out at the polls during early vote. And what struck me was how concerned people are about mental health, um, about our children, our teenagers, adults, the elders, Um, And so I'm really eager to get to work in the North Carolina State Senate to really roll up sleeves and figure out what we can do to help provide um, resources um, across the board to folks. Um, Because we've mentioned the pandemic, we all know that it had an effect on mental health um, and would really like to see um, some progress made in that arena.
0: Our time is running short, but as someone who's new to the legislature, have you already staked out who I need to talk to, who I need to have on board to help me with these things?
5: Um, certainly been meeting a lot of new people. Um, I, you know, a big part of when I was campaigning, I told people, and this is true, this is not just a talking point, it's an action item for me, that I will work with anyone who wants to work in good faith for the people of North Carolina. And so um, I was at orientation this week and got to meet a lot of my new colleagues. Um, and it was it was great. We all, um, you know, we we're all coming from different parts of the state. and we I'll bring a different expertise and perspectives. Um, And I think we're all ready to get to work.
0: Yeah, it's certainly going to be interesting. That'll be a session that'll crank up again in January. One of the new members in the state Senate will be Mary Wills-Bode. We want to thank her and Nick and Don and Donna, all the panelists, we want to thank you for watching and we'll see you next week on Front Row.
1: Major funding for Front Row with Mark Rotterman is provided by Robert L. Luddy. Additional funding provided by Patricia and Ku Ewan through the Ewan Foundation, committed to bridging cultural differences in our communities. And by... Funding for the Lightning Round provided by Nicholas B. and Lucy Mayo Body Foundation, A. E. Finley Foundation, N. C. Realtors, Reifenberg Construction, Stephen Gleason. A complete list of funders can be found at pbsnc.org slash front